0: I'm going to blow your mind. Ready? So Scotland. You know Scotland. You've heard of that country, Scotland, right? You've heard of that place? Familiar. Land of kilts and sheeps. But also...
1: Redheads, but okay.
0: And redheads. But it's also home to one of the coolest SaaS businesses that I've ever heard of. So it's called Petroleum Exports. Uh, they, It's known as uh, Pet Tax.
1: I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off, on a road, Let's jump let's in. We got, travel, got a bunch of stuff back. today.
0: We're going to do what's called a business breakdown duel. Um, Sean and I, an is old that what was it duel. Uh, is that a western duel, I guess. Is uh, we both did a business breakdown and we didn't know that the other one was going to do it. And so now we're going to compare. I'm going to go first, which gives you the advantage because the person who goes last always usually wins in rap battles because that's it's always like when you you know like when they do you know when they do the applause
1: or like person a person b and person b always wins (laughs) i get to hear you say your thing and then i can make fun of what you said
0: yeah so anyway you're gonna you get the advantage but that's okay so i'll go first okay but before i go first i've got to give a shout out to andrew lynch from net income um it's a sub stack. It's where I, I found uh, this particular business and I'm, and I'm stealing uh, a lot of his numbers, but I'm going to blow your mind. Ready? So Scotland, you know, Scotland, you've heard of that country, Scotland, right? You've heard of that mm-hmm. place. Familiar. Land of kilts and sheeps, but also I think there's sheeps there. I don't actually know. That's how little I know about Scotland, but also
1: redheads, but okay.
0: And redheads. But it's also home to one of the coolest SaaS businesses that I've ever heard of. So it's called Petroleum Exports. Uh, they, it's known as uh, Petex. Petex. It's a challenging name, I know. And it's a highly technical specialist software crucial for oil and gas operations. You can go to petex.com to check it out. So pull that up. But Pet, Petex. It's a highly technical specialist software that's the backbone of some of the most important operations in the oil and gas industry. And it sounds boring, and that's because it is. However, last year, they made 78 million pounds in revenue, which is about $100 million USD. And on that $100 million in revenue, about 67 million of it was profit. And of that uh, that profit, they basically took out all the money. So they paid a dividend of 41 million pounds, which is about $60 million dollars, and that was paid to the owner. And it wasn't even retained to the company, which means for every dollar they took, about fifty two dollars went directly to the or fifty two cents went directly to the owner's pocket. Now, here's the cool part. None of this is rumors. This isn't hearsay. I'm not like telling you I heard a story because in the u k, if you're a privately held company that hits a certain threshold in revenue, you have to submit your reports. and you could just log in. It's called Company's House. You can just go there and you can log in. And you can see all this information. And so I went and looked at many, many, many years of their data. And I'm gonna tell you a story about how this company came to be. So it was started by this guy named we're gonna call him Abe. His name's Abe. His name, he's he's a Muslim guy, very, very, very challenging uh, first and last name. Can you see his name? Can you tell me how to pronounce that? Do you know how to pronounce that? <laughs> no, Abdul Hamid. Is the first name and the last name? It's very challenging. There's a D and there's a J together. That's a very challenging.
1: Oh, so you are calling him Abe or he goes by Abe.
0: I'm calling him Abe. His last name is,
1: <laughs> if you was, look I at it. I haven't met many Muslim Abes, but. Uh... We're going to call him
0: Abe. His last name has a D and a J next to each other. I don't even know how to pronounce that sound. So I'm sorry, Abe. He's, uh,
1: wait.
0: It's a very challenging name to pronounce. So he started the company in 1990. It was based in Al. Al- Aberdeen, Scotland, which is basically like a hub for oil industry. It's kind of like similar to what Houston in America is. And the company originally served as a petroleum consultants for and uh, a p- p- consultants to the contro- petroleum industry as well as retailers. And they would create these mathematical models to help uh, people in the in the oil and gas industry manage their projects. And so today, they've kind of pivoted from consulting to providing software. They only have 420 customers, and their core product is composed of complex products, which are complex features that uh, with descriptions like a multi-phase network modeling and optimization and thorough dynamics, fluid characterization package. So pretty complicated stuff.
1: So
0: as I said, they started as a consulting business and they have done 78 million pounds in revenue last year, which is about 100 million USD, 58 million USD in profit, and 50 million in dividends, meaning the company doesn't require much capital X. So they made all this profit and most all of it, 58 million profit, 50 million came out of the business and went directly to the owner's pockets. And he's been doing this for years and years and years. Their business, biggest expense is employees. So because they're based in the UK, they pay UK software engineer salaries, which are lower than the US, making their average all-in cost per each employee, of which they have 86 of them, only 101,000 pounds per year. So the, Which means that they are doing 911 pounds, 900, 911,000 pounds in revenue per employee. So 9x.
1: 9x basically ROI per per person that they hired.
0: So, yeah, this company absolutely kills it. And I want to tell you, when I was analyzing this company, and um, if you look up Andrew Lynch, his sub stack, he does a really good job of explaining the technical details of the company. I want to explain some of the entrepreneurial takeaways that I had. So if you go to the top uh, link, Sean, in our doc, um, right at the beginning of the story, yeah, you you'll yep. see the uh, sub stack where you can, it's his, Andrew Lynch has a thing called net income. And that's where I discovered this. So I want to tell you some of my takeaways. Takeaway one, focus plus time. That's what this guy did. So everyone talks about focus, but what does focus mean? You basically, in my opinion, need to focus enough to turn your idea into a machine. And then after that, I think you can deviate some attention away from that if you want. But the company needs focus and that focus took takes time. So I went back and I looked at a lot of their uh, revenue and so did Andrew. So if you scroll down, Sean, you'll see a graph of the revenue. And what you'll notice is that it took them 15 years to get to $10 million in revenue, 10 million pounds. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it dollars. So $10 million in revenue. And I know a lot of people, I think maybe you have done this with one of your businesses got to close to 10 million in revenue in like 1.5 or one, or two years actually. And so 15 years, particularly in like the tech internet space, it feels horribly long, but I think that's okay. That's the right feeling. And so... What I try to do, something I've been thinking about for a while, is I ask myself, in 10 or 20 years, will I be happy if I started this today? And that's a really good quote. But that answer is incredibly murky more often than not. Sometimes it's like a, I think, yes. It's a very murky thing. And there's this famous story about Jeff Bezos when he started Amazon. He has this thing called the regret minimalization framework where he says this story about he's like, well, even though I had this good job, I decided to start Amazon because in 80 years or when I'm 80 years old, will I be proud that I started it today? The answer was yes. But in that same story, he also said that he thought at most Amazon could make is $100 million a year. So he he it's not like he had the full picture. So it was like, yeah, I, I think this can work. And so I went and talked to Darmesh, who's the founder, Darmesh Shah, the founder of HubSpot. I also talked to Kip, who is the CMO. And Kip joined HubSpot in year five. I asked Kip, how big do you think HubSpot could be when he joined? You know, how big did he think? So HubSpot today is worth $25 billion. When I asked him, he said, I thought it could hit a billion dollars in valuation. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I thought we could do a billion dollars uh, in valuation, meaning like, What's that? 80 million in revenue? I don't, I don't know how that... Something like will. that. And then I asked Darmesh. I go, how big do you think he could get? He goes, really? I didn't have any idea. But I knew that all I wanted was a 1,000 customers who would each pay $250. Which, by the way, this is only $3 million a year in revenue. And I thought that would be a pretty cool milestone. And so the reason isn't always... Or the outcome isn't always clear of, is this worth it? Now, the reason this is important is because the biggest pain in business is not just failing, but it's failing slowly and spending like a decade working on something and wasting the most non-renewable resource there is. Time, wasting that time. And I mean, it's significantly worse, I think, than losing millions of dollars a year in one or two years and then quitting. And so that's where the... It's kind of an art. It's a skill. It's an intuition. It's talent. That's where all this stuff comes into place. So tactically, what does this mean? Ben Franklin said, a small leak will sink a great ship. Warren Buffett said, So you find yourself in a chronically leaky boat. Energy devoted to changing vessels is likely to be more productive than energy devoted to patching leaks. So the point being, only work on shit as long as your boat ain't leaking. As long as you don't got any (laughs) holes in that boat. But here's the thing. Every early stage company, (laughs) everything's leaky at first. So I went back to Darmesh and back to Kip and I go, guys, <laughs> tell me about this HubSpot right now. Your guys' net revenue retention. I don't know what it is exactly, but I think it's like 105% meaning for every dollar that someone spends at HubSpot now, the next year, they're going to spend a dollar and five cents. And he said, uh, and, and Chip and, uh, Kip, they, they said a few things. So I'm going to mix it up a little bit, but, uh, or I'm going to kind of interchange with what, what they said. But I believe it was Kip who said our churn at first was terrible. It was beyond bad. At one point, we were losing thirty percent of customers on an annual base on an annual basis. I then asked uh, Darmesh. I go, "Was your guys' churn really that bad?" He goes, "Yeah, it, it was definitely really bad. It, it took about five years in order to like get it to where it was a good place." And I said, "Well, what did you do to fix that?" And he said, "Our goal was not to make customers happy. It was to make happy customers, meaning everything from our branding, pitch, marketing, sales, service, everything." should be thought out in a process where the outcome was a happy customer. And that meant it was everyone's job. Marketing needs to be reaching better fit customers who are less likely to churn. Sales needed not sales shouldn't oversell and make sure that they only qualify that these customers will likely succeed, which helps reduce the churn. Products needs to make sure they don't just build new features, but build a feature that reduces churns. And they have to make these features make sure these features get adopted. And churn is churn reduction is a team sport. You also have to remember there's a power law, which is 90% of stickiness will be driven by 10% of the product and company features and not to add 100 features and, and instead just find ones that work and double down on those. So the point being, all ships are leaky at first, but hopefully you can figure out a way to do it. And last but not least, my takeaway, $10 a month, it's rarely going to feed a bunch of hungry mouths. So our listeners, including you and I, sometimes I do this as well. I had a $25 a month product. A lot of times what we do is we look for arbitrages or we look for like small little hacks. That's neat. That's all cool. And all every once in a while it gives you that dopamine hit, but this company, the reason I like it is, you know how much they charge per year? $300,000 a year for a license to their company. They only have 450 clients. And Andrew, in his Substack article, he says something great. He goes, imagine you're running an oil rig that extracts hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil per day. Brent crude is currently tr- uh, crude is trading at $75 per barrel. So every 100 barrel is $7,500 $7, in revenue. Your IT co- guy comes up to you and says, boss, Pitex just raised their prices by 10%. I think we could save $3,000 annual if we switch, switch tho- software providers to another thorough, dynamic, fluid characterization package instead. You tell them to piss off. Don't touch a thing. Just make sure nothing breaks. A measly $3,000 is nothing in the grand scheme of a huge capital intense business. So they put their price up 10% and everyone moves moves on and and goes on before because look, it helps them solve their business. So, or it helps them solve problems in their business. It makes their business better. So this is my breakdown of this company. I love it. I love this company. (laughs) I love these Scottish guys. Jonathan's giving me a clap. What do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, Jonathan, you like that one?
0: Yeah, that was, you, you kind of touched it all. You got the opening story hit with Impact and then the three big takeaways at the end. And that like Q&A with Kiv and Darmesh was a nice touch.
1: Yeah, that was a, that was a good touch. I like how you brought that in. The um, There was a, a bit of a spelling and pronunciation challenge at the beginning, but you overcame that and I'm proud of you for doing that. You
0: uh-huh. know what I say? <laughs> I, so I went to speech class when I was a kid, by the way, and I always used to tell people, I just got a big tongue. My tongue's real
1: thick. I got a thick tongue. Some people hard boned, for me. I'm big tongued. Yeah. I got, I got fat thug. Uh, a fat. See, I gave it a fat tongue. It's just, it's like a,
0: it's like a, it's like a snail in there. It's like a slug. I got a slug of a, of a tongue. It, I got molasses in my mouth. I don't know what to say. It's hard for me to say
1: some words sometimes. <laughs> it's like the further away from St. Louis a person gets or a company gets, like the harder it is to, to explain them. Um, that's interesting. You know, I, I guess two things on mind. Right now, I bet there's an opportunity to create like another PedX, basically, which is uh, with machine learning and AI. You could go into these kind of like old school big dollar type companies and be like, "Hey, look, we have the ability to process your data or to give you insights that's going to save you money, like yeah, 10% efficiency gain, 20% efficiency gains." And I bet that these opportunities, you know, have existed, but the the more powerful ML and AI get, the more those opportunities open up. And the bottleneck is people who even understand what problems exist inside of, uh, you know, some shale gas company or uh, inside of ExxonMobil, and then being able to go sell into them. There was a guy who I met very early on when I was doing my startup. I didn't really know any other entrepreneurs, but there was one guy who also went to Duke. And I wonder what happened to him. I haven't kept in touch, but I think his name was Evan Anderson. And he was building a company that was, um, selling to, uh, it was called Osberg. Yeah, this this is exactly right. Let's see what happened with this company. Um, So it was selling to um, companies that were in Oklahoma. So I was like, whoa, you moved to Oklahoma? And he was like, yeah, this is where my customers are. And I was like, who's your customers? And it was like all the oil and gas companies that that are in America. And what he was doing at that time was basically, quote unquote, big data. uh, Big data for oil and gas. And I was like, that's a great idea. I'm looking at it now. He's still there as CEO 14 years later. So I've got this company's been, been pretty successful. And I was like, I would check in with him and be like, you know, what's the challenge? And at this time I'm working on a sushi restaurant chain. And he's like, you know, I'll spend 6 months just courting the right guy, the right suit at this uh, at this company. I got to take him to, uh, you know, a football game. I got to invite his family over. We got to get to know him. We got to get him comfortable with this uh, you know, the software. But once I get once I close that deal, these deals are going to be worth millions and millions of dollars over time. They're never going to rip us out once we get in. And so um, I, I'm curious how this company is doing today. But I know that you know, 15 years ago, I was like, this is a great idea. And I, just, I, I intuitively knew it because I was like, the same effort it's taking me to do this silly sushi restaurant thing, he's spending the same amount of time. He's just wor- working for a much bigger prize with much more defensibility. And a much clearer value where he's going into an industry that's like never had, uh, you know, doesn't have this, th- this sort of software capability. He's like, I will sit here until I understand your problems and then I will build solutions for this. And uh, I just love that approach. I think that's a like, if people are willing to kind of like eat shit and go outside of their like kind of comfort zone of problem areas, they understand there's pretty big opportunities. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Yeah, and it's cool. Did you see this graph from Andrew Lynch of this company's revenue?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is like a perfect hockey stick, but over a long period of time. Um, over a really long period of time. I mean, so that's 91... the thing you, you talk about, like this 15 years to get to 10 million. You know, respect for continuing and making it all work. That's not for me. Uh, What's the Moyes quote? Why does everyone make fun of getting rich quick? That's the best way to get rich. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you about a company in a second here that said in their first week, they did a million dollars of sales and never went less than that from there. And you
0: think that that's not true, correct?
1: I think it's I think it's a lie, but I love a good lie. I love a good lie. Tell Dude, me about people, this. Give me a good people lie. People underestimate how much of uh, startup stories are just lies. Okay, so here's my, here's my business breakdown. I see your duel, and I, uh, I raise you. Um, in, in my head, by the way, we were doing an uh, old-fashioned Western duel, but now I decided it's American Gladiators, and you're a laser, and I'm a blazer, and we're going at it on the joust. And so <laughs> this morning, I was thinking about... But who's lying out there? Who's lying? Men's problems. Let's, let's, frame it, let's frame it that way. Okay. So most people have heard, you're, you're, wait, you got a little,
0: you got a little situation.
1: Is that the issue? You got a little situation. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not how we got, actually, here's the, here's the actual train of thought. I was thinking about, um, these t-shirt companies, a little segue here to tell you how my brain works. So I think about these t-shirt companies. I don't know if you've seen this, but basically in the last kind of like four years, there's been a bunch of companies start started that succeeded, that did the most obvious thing. And I've seen this happen again and again, that there's these windows of time where big ideas are just hidden in plain sight. And so basically in the last four years, a bunch of companies have started that do such a simple thing. They just sell basic plain men's t-shirts. And these were the big D2C ideas. So like anybody who wanted to do e-commerce or dropshipping or D2C, build a brand, the opportunity was sitting right in front of everybody. It was just men's t-shirts. So you have Cuts, Fresh Clean Tees, True Classic Tees, Built Basics, all of these companies that in the last sort of four-year window have built $100 million plus companies. So some of them do about $50 million a year in sales. Some of them do 100 or $150 million a year in sales. So it's this kind of range. But to go in like a three-year period to get to $150 million in sales, that's what True Classic Tees did, is just bananas to be honest and so um i'll tell you the uh the numbers for true classic so year 1 uh let's see where they go so i think go okay year 1 15 million year 2 90 million year 3 150 million in top line revenue and um and they did it all through facebook ads selling plain you know white black blue men's t-shirts and that's the same thing. I think Fresh Clean Teas is somewhere like 50 million, north of 50 million in revenue. Uh, I think Cuts is over 100 million. Um, it's crazy that these companies all scaled so fast doing this such an obvious thing. Where is the, there, there was no massive innovation. And so I was thinking about this. I was like, man, there's these windows of time. And then I thought about, what, what are other windows that I've seen like this? And I stayed in the e-commerce world. And I thought about, oh, back in 2017, both Roman and Hims launched doing basically the same thing. And they launched within like a couple months of each other. Basically people had the same idea at the same time. And both of them became billion dollar plus companies doing the same thing. What they did was, you know, I guess the summary is they took advantage of a, uh, what, what do we call it? The, an inflection. Uh, Sam loves this regulation inflection. inflection in
0: this case. Well, this it was, was a regulation inflection.
1: This was a regulatory inflection. And so what happened was, um, there was proven market demand for drugs like Viagra, uh, or Propecia, or Rogaine, and so hair loss or erectile dysfunction. There was a proven like business there, and they started like in the early '90s. And so by 2017, the patents expired for those. And when the patents expired, have you ever taken a Viagra or anything like
0: that? I haven't. Have you? No, but the, time. I, I, if someone if someone told
1: me it's awesome, I would. But I've never. I've never. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> go. <laughs> so, so the patents expired and basically now there was like generic versions of these. And so what, and at the same time, there was another regulatory inflection, which was that telemedicine was becoming more and more things were getting opened up for telemedicine, meaning you could prescribe drugs without going to the doctor. So drugs without a doctor was the key kind of like just, you know, frame, uh, framework for, for this type of business. And so they both launch and the hymns guy says, this guy, Andrew uh, Dudum, he goes, we launched and in our first week we did a million dollars of sales and we've never done less than a million since then. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. And it is true that hymns scaled really quickly. So their revenue... A million Trump, a week? Was, so he said that? they never did... He said they never did less than a million a week after launching? Yes. Oh. Is that, and I was like, that's insane. And I was thinking about that because I was like, I've launched many things. The first week is... You're talking about patching holes on a boat. That's how the first week is. It's like, you don't even have inventory. You don't have a million dollars of inventory. You don't have like, to do a million dollars, how much are you spending in ads? Did you, did you just blast like half a million dollars of ads in your first week? Facebook ads doesn't even let you ramp up that quickly. So I, I was a little bit suspicious of this. And uh, the revenue did ramp quickly. So tw- they launched the very end of 2017. 2018, the full year, they did $27 million in revenue. With $27 million in ad spend. So they spent 100% of revenue on ads. So they burned a bunch of money. Uh, 2019, they, did, they went from 27 million to 83 million and they spent 50 million on ads. 2020, they were forecasting about 140 million. And then I have the actuals. So check out this revenue growth. It's pretty insane. 2021, they did 270. 2022, they did 540. 2023, they're projecting to finish at 800 million in revenue. So this is a pretty crazy run in uh what six years to ramp up to 800 million in in revenue so they could get Uh, a a billion in revenue in seven years exactly they're burning money this whole time even now even at 500 million last year they only have two percent ebitda margin and that's the adjusted ebitda the real they actually burned 10 million but the the adjusted is that they you know they they, they made a a small two percent uh margin and so super capital intensive they raise like Two hundred something million dollars before going public, and then in going public, another two three hundred million dollars went into the business. I think, and so it's taken them a lot of capital to get here. So, I would say three things: amazing story, just in general. Like, props to them for pulling this off. Like, they they built this out of an incubator. I ran an incubator for six years; and couldn't get one thing to even ten million in revenue. And they this was like a big hit that came out of a, a incubator, which is very very rare. Ro oh, Roman, which is now rebranded to Ro, Roe, also came out of an incubator at the same time. So the two biggest incubator hits were, were sort of the these two companies that did the same thing essentially. One did it for hair. So I think uh HIMS did it for hair, hair loss, and Roe did it for ED, and then they both just added the other product as they went. Um so impressive in that way. The revenue growth, impressive, the ad spend and the money burned incredible. I now question: is this even a good business? So like. They basically showed that their, their CAC, so their cost to acquire customers, uh, is really high. Like Their cost to acquire customers is basically, what do I have it here? It's like $100 plus to acquire a customer. Let me grab it. Um, I think it's like $150 on average to, to acquire a customer. The lowest it's been is like $100 to acquire a customer. And um, they basically think that they think they 3X their money in three years, which is actually not very good for e-com. Like my e-com business, which is nowhere near the scale of this, is way more efficient than this. Like they're trying to pay back essentially, you know, a little over a year. Uh, you know, we try to pay back in, in two months. And so, like, you know, it's amazing what just pure aggression uh they approached this business with. They were just like, Yeah, we're gonna scale this thing and we're gonna pour a bunch of money in, we're gonna burn a bunch of money, but we're gonna ramp up and like we're gonna try to thread the needle to get this business to work when it's at the billions in, in, in scale. And um, they kind of pulled it off because they went public with VS Back and they got liquid before the business really worked.
0: This week, I had to chop down a tree at my farm and I didn't have an axe. So I just used a sledgehammer instead. And so my wife was like, oh, you do you, you, you chopped down that tree. I was like, I, I kind of smashed it down and uh, I just sledgehammered it down. And that's kind of what these guys did. They just kind of sledgehammered their way into into the market.
1: Have you seen this guy that's on TikTok that just chops the tree and all like it gets like a million views and it's all uh, there's like hundreds of thousands of women commenting like, like just like gasp, like I need him. Is he hot? This is guy? he shirtless? No, is he shirtless and hot? He's shirtless and he just chops this tree perfectly. Like it's like it takes him like 10 strokes to crack down this giant tree. Is that and like an looked- innuendo for sex or something? Literally, like. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm watching this. This is like just from a purely objective level, this is very attractive. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. This is very he a attractive. backwards hat? He just wears like suspenders. He looks like a lumberjack, but he's like GQ'd out. So he's, he's like a groomed lumberjack that's super like with a CrossFit body that chops down trees instead of going to the gym. It's, it's, he's incredible. So um, you're kind of like that. You're like that, but like, you know, Not. (laughs) I'm like, I'm I'm like store brand that. Yeah, you're you're like in the, in the, in the zip code of that. (laughs) Uh,
0: So that's basically what these guys said. They kind of brute force their way, but why don't you think this is a good business?
1: Well, I think that the, I mean, just the amount of capital it took to, to get to this business value. So it's worth 1.8 billion on paper. um, And they've taken 500 million to get here. So like, if you just zoom out, it's like, we, three and a half extra money. Like, that's not the most impressive thing. But like, when you frame it the other way, which is like, we're going to hit a billion dollars in sales and we've done this in seven years. And like, you know, we've built the largest telemedicine health company for men and women. And you could frame it one way or you could just kind of look at it another. It's like, now here's a business where if I have to pay $150 to acquire a customer and it takes two years to pay it back. If, if that, we'll see how it all projects out. It's super sensitive to like, you know, they they pour so much money into marketing. And what if, you know, Facebook costs change? Like, you know, how's that going to affect them? Like, there's all these factors. I'm not saying it's a bad business, but like compared to that PedEx company that does 100 million in sales and dividends out 50 million to the owner, I know which business I would want to own, right? Uh, I, the business that didn't need a SPAC to, to, to succeed is the business I would want to own. The one that's dividending out like a mega yacht every year to this guy, like, that's sick. And it has like, you know one one millionth of the notoriety of a brand like it, what others you say things. about
0: the uh, yeah tell me the, the, the other interesting thing so that so other cool things
1: so I th- so there's some notable things for the research. I want to put these on the screen, so i put the I put the images on screen on YouTube if you're listening to the podcast, just pause, go to YouTube because you got to see these so if you go back through their history, uh first, take a look at this thing I have on page uh what is this page like three or something of this the p and l do you see this p n l um this was in their, s1 to go public it's literally it just says revenue 27 gross profit eight adjusted EBITDA 68 that's the p&l they shared in their investor presentation i was like what kind of kindergarten level of detail is this what kind of crayon p&l are you doing like this is fucking ridiculous and i was like this is why SPACs, this is why SPACs went to shit because it's like Half the P and L is just projections, which you can't do if you go public the traditional way. But in SPACs, you can do these like forward-looking projections, and that's how all these guys got away with it. It's like we got a shitty business now, but like five years from now, we are crushing. And that's like you know, they they were able to tell that story, whereas you can't make forward-looking statements in the traditional way of going public. And then I was like, this is some uh, absolute basic beginner-looking thing. I, I was just stunned at this. E- this is like on the SEC website. That's a that's an embarrassment. Uh, all right, second thing, you can go to their website and you can find in the web archive their landing page from the beginning. So check this out. This was their first landing page. This is like the month that they launched. It just said, guy, against staggering odds, two things happen. One, the universe. Two, you. you let's walk at our full height, honor our forebearers, have a smile, and for God's sakes, floss. Shop now. And then it just goes It just scrolls down and it just says, sex. This is, this is simple. You need erections when you want them and not when it's convenient for your penis. And there's an eggplant emoji that says shop sex. And there was another one for hair. Like that was like the same. It was like, she needs to run her fingers through your hair a lot. And then it just says our best sellers. And there's just a very basic bottle that says finasteride. And that's like the the generic name for Propecia or like, you know, for for like the hair uh, male pattern baldness, like drug or whatever. And they were just selling it for $28. And then there was, they only had two SKUs finasteride, and vitamins. Not even like vitamin C. This is, hey, but here's some vitamins. (laughs) And so incredible to go see. I love, love, love looking at successful businesses early landing pages just to see, like, how did they get their business out the door? One thing that's interesting is from the beginning, they actually had a pretty strong, like, branding and brand identity. So if you go do this with, like, Snapchat or Uber, the first websites are just absolutely fugly. Like, um, I have this blog post on the internet that's called, like, you just search Sean Puri, uh, early startup landing pages, medium. Um, 10 th- okay, it's called 10 throwback startup homepages. Um, when did you write that article? I wrote this in 2015. So this Wait, was... What uh,
0: month? What month? June. Oh, you beat me. On October 12th, 2015, I wrote an article that said, proof that your favorite startup started out awful. And it's a list of 10 landing pages. Yeah, you copy Your favorite me.
1: startup. <laughs> I think we knew each other then. So uh, you can go look at Airbnbs. It's like literally plain black and white. And it just says, forget hotels, stay with a tr- uh, local. Uber, it looks like a you know janky thing. Everyone's private driver, but it looks like an old school car service. Snapchat, it's got one of these like yellow bubbles. That's like the like, buy now, you know, like, you know, uh, half, buy two, get one. And it just says free download inside. And it says introducing Snapchat, real time picture chatting for iPhone. And it's two girls in their like bikinis. And it just says seven seconds on the screen and like, you know, a self destructing photo. So you can see what early startup landing pages look like. What's interesting that was unique in the HIMS case is that they actually had their branding from day one, which I think was a smart move by them. And they specifically branded it the opposite colors as every other male wellness product. So every other male wellness product is essentially blue. And they were like, no, we'll go all neutral color scheme, lowercase like lowercase font for the for the brand name, and we're gonna make it subtle because there's a stigma and a taboo around this. It's not something you want to brag about. We don't want bold. We want like we want to be able to give you this package in a discreet way. And you know, and I know, and that's all who needs to know. And I thought that was like a smart thing for them to get right from day one
0: all their models are like, it's usually like a cool-looking black dude or like a, a racially ambiguous guy. It's like, right. some. it's like, oh, I I can see myself in you. I'm a young, cool guy. It's like, right. I wear like cool jeans as well. Were your parents all of the Power
1: Rangers? Why are you all telling us What happened here? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's usually like a, like a pretty racially ambiguous, good-looking guy with nice teeth. <laughs> yeah, the teeth are always on
1: point. Versus like, um, a Viagra is always like Brett Favre-looking guy. And then this was one of their early um, early ads. So it's just uh, it just says, get hard or get your money back. And it's just a guy holding a tiny pill. Um, and it's uh, and, then, and what ethnicity ha- is that guy? Oh, dude, his hand is like a gradient in Photoshop. It's like all, all colors are, you see here. Uh, so it says, eggplant emoji, rise to the occasion for less. So one thing that they did really well was they figured out how do you advertise on Facebook with a taboo product? So, they would do stuff like they would show a picture of a cactus that was limp and then another, and it, it would be like with him. So, you don't have this problem. So, like, how do you? And so, they were very clever, clever with their marketing. They also did stuff where they would create ad inventory. So, they would go to um, like stadiums and they'd be like, all right, a bunch of guys who are in our demographic are at the stadium. We could either spend like $400,000 to get on the Jumbotron and uh, along with like, you know, BMW and a bunch of other big brands, or they went to the stadium facility manager and they were like, hey, how much for the urinal space? They're like, what? They're like, yeah, we want to put a little ad on the urinal and we'll give you guys like, you know, X price to be in every urinal. And they're like, yeah, dude, we got like 30 seconds of guys focused time while they're touching their thing. Like, you know, looking at our ad, this is actually kind of perfect. And so they would create new ad inventory that didn't even exist before, just trying to figure out how do we spend $100 million in a way that's going to be as efficient as possible. So they're you know, really just like very, they're like a very advanced marketing agency, essentially.
0: And another thing that they did, and I did a big breakdown on this one time was, so if you Google Viagra alternative or cheap Viagra or buy Viagra online, they show up number one. And what they did was they actually sponsored a ton of Twitch people and somehow that like got their links out there and they like mm. they got tons and tons of backlinks really early on so hymns.com ranked quite high so they were able to get like it was I think if you I think it's Viagra alternative might be like their word I forget which it's one of those pages and that's where they got most of the
1: revenue early on oh wow that's interesting you know there's another cool thing I'll put this graphic on the screen um, it's this graphic from I don't, have you ever read Sacra? by the way I don't even know if that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saccharine.
0: The like the research thing, I like it.
1: Yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, I don't think people know about them, but they put it's out uh, like really good research. S A C R A. Yeah, so they had done a thing, and they had this great graphic, which is basically they were like, telemedicine was like this like trend, like this like there's a lot of opportunity in telemedicine right now, and they just showed this picture of like a guy and a girl, and it's a diagram, and basically it's like you could look from like head to toe, literally from head to toe, and you just go down the body, and you're like okay. Hair, there's hymns, there's keeps, there's Roman. Okay, then you go down to like eyes, and it's like there's prescription contact. Hubble, um, you know, it was, it was a D2C startup doing prescription contacts through a phone app instead of going to the doctor. And then you go to their bicep, it's like TRT. Uh, there's a bunch of TRT companies like Hone Health and, uh, and others. And then you're like, and then you go to, uh, you know, their abs, it's like weight loss. You go to the crotch, it's like here's the erectile the dysfunction you go down to the toes. It's like, here's toe fungus. Then he's got a little pet next to him. It's like, hey, here's pop. It's, it's insurance for your pet. So you have like, instead of going to the vet for everything, you can use pop. And, um, and so it's like, uh, and then they did the same thing for women. And you could just literally see like, if you've seen those diagrams that were like, there was a big opportunity to unbundle Craigslist. And they took Craigslist homepage and they showed out every little section of Craigslist became its own billion dollar startup. They did the same thing to your body. Every part of your body became a billion-dollar startup, essentially, from one D2C wellness company and, uh, or, or multiple in some, in some areas. So from skincare... And all of
0: their logos like, look exactly the same.
1: <laughs> Lowercase font, pastel colors. <laughs> Hymns. I think oh, it's... Oh, by the way, one, one other little observation. A lot of these D2C successes came from a certain type of founder. Not all of them, but many from MBA, found, like founders who went to like business schools, which is funny because like in the startup world, business schools kind of like are an easy punching bag because you're like punching up at the institution. It's easy to make fun of them. They're like, bro, you don't learn business in school. You learn business by doing business. And that's how I feel, to be honest with you. So I'm like, that's true. But there is something interesting that a lot of DDC companies, Blue Apron, Birchbox, Stitch Fix, Warby Parker, um, Rent the Runway, Hello, uh, HelloFresh, Um, and then this, you know, this guy who did, uh, uh, he went to Wharton as well. So it's like a lot of these big, I think there was something about the type of person who would do well in business school and the types of things you learn in business school where you like do this market landscape and you like figure out the opportunities. You're like, okay, good. I just need to be like good at marketing and then good at operations in order to like, like put cash in here and get thing out. It's not like very software based. It's not, you don't have to be the, the innovator. Who's like, you know, the one inventor of something um, I think it landed itself to that type of entrepreneur, which I, th- I found pretty interesting too.
0: Well, here's what our listeners need to do. They need to either probably in the YouTube comments, they need to let us know. I actually yeah, want them the to duel? know who won the duel. I actually want them to, I want to know if they think Hibs is a good business. But also, who won the duel? So you'll have to vote by saying <laughs> our names. Um, we'll include a, a Spotify poll as well. So you can just vote in the app. And we'll do a Spotify poll huh. as well. Some guy in the YouTube channel said, um, um, who's this blonde host and why is he so annoying? So just for the record, the blonde annoying guy, <laughs> that's what someone said in the comments. The, the blonde annoying guy, that was Sam. I went first. And Sean is the brown less annoying guy. He went second for him. So let us know who's the winner here of, the, of this duel. Um, I'm very eager to hear uh, what people are going to say. I know which one I would rather own. But I think they're both quite interesting. For sure. For
1: sure. You saw this post by Mark Zuckerberg that he did the Murph. (laughs) I tweeted out the picture of it and it got like 5
0: million views. It kind of took off. And I don't know. So do do you know what the Murph
1: is? I had never heard of the Murph until I saw this. And then I was like, I must do the Murph. (laughs) It's named
0: after Lieutenant Murphy, I believe, Context clues leads me to believe that he died uh, in the military and uh, his favorite workout, I believe it's one mile run, 300 squats, 100 push-ups, and 100 pull-ups, and then a one mile run, all while wearing a 20-pound weighted vest. Is that the workout?
1: That's exactly right. Run a mile, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, run another mile while while wearing a 20-pound vest. And, uh, Zuck basically takes a like bro gym shot. I got to use the BlackBerry for this. He's got the phone down here, not smiling, got the mouth open, just, and just snaps it with himself drenched in sweat. And he's like, just did the Murph. Um, He's like me and my daughters did. he's got a picture of his daughters doing like pushups. And he goes, this year I got it done in 39 minutes and 58 seconds. And I was like, I read that and I was like, hmm, that sounds like really fast. If he had just said, I did 100 pull-ups today, I would have been like, man, what a day. Fantastic. Forget forget all the rest. I was already impressed by 100 pull-ups. To say he got that done in weighted pull-ups, to say he got that done in 39 minutes, I was like, that sounds ridiculously fast. And sure enough, all the comments were like, that's an insane time for the Murph." Have you ever done this workout? I haven't,
0: but the world record holder of the Murph is this guy named Hunter McIntyre, who's DM'd me on Twitter and Instagram, and I've talked to him because I I like him a lot, or I followed him, and I feel like I like
1: him. Is that what fit guys do? They just DM each other?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's (laughs) like a club, you know? Like, once you can see the sixth app, you start following each other. Yeah, Yeah, I'm (laughs) one of
1: us.
0: (laughs) Good to see you. And he D N would me. He listens to the pod. He's the world record holder. And I think his world record is like 34 minutes. And Zuck's time was 39 minutes, which means <laughs> he would have gotten like 10th or 15th place at, there's like a
1: Murph Games or something like that. I mean, I had so many thoughts rushed through my head when I saw this. First, I saw 39 minutes and I thought, I've taken shits longer than that. Like, that's a, that's a crazy fast time. Then I thought, I don't think I could even do a Murph. In an infinite amount of time. I don't think in my life I have done a total of two miles running, 100 pull ups, 200 push ups, and 300 air squats, like with a 20 pound vest. I have just never done it, period. Uh, So my time is currently 35 years. Then I thought, this mother, this guy has, he decided, yo, you know what? I'll just become one of the richest people in the world. One of the most powerful people in the world, and the, one of the fittest guys in the world. Like he's basically and wholesome. Top point one percent wealth. Top point one percent, you know, intelligence. Top point one percent power. And now he's top point top one point one percent. Chad also. I am blown all be, away. All,
0: all before the age of forty.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he's got two kids or something like that. I'm like, the, I mean. David Goggins should go to sleep listening to Mark Zuckerberg videos for motivation. This guy's incredible. I went, I bought more stock, and I bought a plain gray, you know, cookie cutter t-shirt in his honor. I was like, this is, I'm gonna retire this to the rafters of my office. I'm gonna put a I'm gonna hang a gray shirt just to honor this man. He gets so much shit. And man, he's really turned his like public persona around. Like, do you remember he was he was the biggest dork? Like, not just like, oh, when he was young, like recently he was the biggest dork. He, was, he tried to do something cool. Like he would do, he, when he did that like hydrofoiling thing and he painted his, w- fight, his face white like a geisha. And like, it's like, man, this guy's like, and it hit American fight. It was just like, it was like, oh man, like, you know what? Keep all your money. I don't want to be you. And now he's like, you know, just got off work, did a quick jujitsu tournament, came back, you know. fucking deleted snapchat off the earth i'm like wow this guy's just this guy's making power moves all day he's incredible he's he's a very inspirational dude he's done it scandal
0: free so zuck is only 37 now you know probably fifth or sixth is he only 37 something like that i mean he's still in his 30s how old is he 39
1: 39 so only
0: so he so basically he uh been married to the same woman. Been with her since college. Has two kids. Seems like his family life on 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 paper seems awesome. There was a time when, like, the most scandalous thing that he did was he had a video where he talked about smoking meats. And every year he sets. <laughs> you remember that? Because every year
1: he sets goals. No, no, that's not the most scandalous thing. That was just like hilarious that he was a robot trying to be like, "Hello, humans. I am doing a barbecue with. I have flesh on a grill with fire." And it was like, "Bro, this is a robot." The most scandalous thing he did was when he was in college, and the the his aim messages got leaked. That was like you know a real wonderful day in my household. As I like was like, hey, cancel Netflix. I have my entertainment for the week. I'm reading all of Mark Zuckerberg's aim messages for the next week. That, and it wasn't that? even that
0: big of a deal. What he said was pretty on par with an eighteen year old, nineteen year old person. Like, it, well,
1: maybe it was a one part was a little bit like. Uh, is this what we want? Like this guy's, this is the guy running Facebook where he was like, he's like, yeah, j- he's like, he's like, yeah, just tell me if you want anyone's like, you know, name, you know, date of birth, a- you know, address, whatever. He- he's like, these dumb fucks just, just trust me. They just put everything in the, in the system. And so that you know, sounds he said, like, like
0: something a 19 year old kid who invented this stuff would say. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would say that was the last time I was relatable with Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Ever since then, he's created a gap. <laughs> and he, he's outpaced me from there.
0: Every year he sets these goals. One year it was he only wants to eat food that he killed or grew. And I think he did it. And then another year he was like, I'm going to learn Mandarin because I want Facebook to come to China. And I think his wife is Chinese. And he was like, I'm going to learn he Mandarin. And then he goes and he gives a talk. I think he does it, gives a talk to
1: a Chinese university. He, he gave me an interview. They go, he they fly him out there. They're like, Thank you so much, Mark Zuckerberg, for coming. We are so happy to have you. And he's like, He's like, You know, well, Mitchell, he just starts speaking Chinese and they're like blown away. (laughs) It's it's, it's like really great, man,
0: where he's basically fluent. And so the guy kills it, man. He does great. And like when he did the E, so he got into E foiling, which is basically surfboarding without a wave, and he is doing it with an American flag and he has too much sunscreen on his face. That's my guy. A guy whose biggest like flaw is that he's goofy. It's not the kind of my guy. And then now that I... Oh, you're, this,
1: you're zagging the other way. You're saying, Zuck, bad move, unrelatable, too too good, no vulnerability, no no relatability now. He's no longer girl next door hot. Now he's just supermodel hot.
0: Zuck's the best, man. He just, he, you know, our friend Nikita Beer uh, has this joke where he says something like, I would ne- never, or, I forget why he says this, but he says, never, ever, ever bet against Zuck, how he's just a complete killer and he is wrong sometimes, but not in the grand scheme and this is for the proof
1: well the funny thing is people will hate this segment cuz i think it's popular to really hate mark zuckerberg um because they hate facebook i think because they're like my data or like the russians hacked the election or i'm not even sure i'm not even sure what the what the exact reason is for hating zuckerberg at this point i just got to say like this is i mean he he is inspiring in that he is excellent. And if you appreciate excellence, that is kind of inspiring. It's kind of like people who hate LeBron. It's like, okay, I get it. You don't have to like the guy, but uh, I mean, you got to respect. You got to put some respect on this guy's name. LeBron, LeBron funny doesn't story, do anything wrong way. either, by the way. But my he complained t- sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my, yeah, he switched teams when he was a free agent. Um, my real estate agent told me the story that she was driving by. She's like, that's Mark Zuckerberg's house in the, in the mission kind of like near Dolores Park type of area. And I was like, he lives here? And I was like, that's not like, I thought he'd live in some private gated community. And she was like, well, I mean, he has like many houses, but this is one, this is one. And this is like his main one for a while. And she's like, and he made it private. I was like, what do you mean? I don't see any fence. And she's like, no, he bought the houses next door. Like he just bought all the houses in the area so that like, you know, whatever. And so he, he knocked on someone's door himself so somebody opened the door and it was Mark Zuckerberg outside and he's like, hey, you know, I love this house and I, would you sell it to me? And they're like, no, nah, I mean, it's not for sale. We, we love this house. We're so close to the park. You know, my commute—it's only seven miles. He's like, I'll give you $10 million. And they're like, okay, here's the keys. <laughs> and basically, he bought the house for $10 million. It was probably a $2 million house. Uh, and the house next, like the house is nearby him, two and a half, three million a half, $3 million. And he paid 10 and just got the house right away. Dude, and that so, person nice. who
0: sold their house to him would be the best dinner guest. Imagine that story. <laughs> imagine we would like that. to
1: have you on air. If that's you, we would like to have you come tell that story because uh, obviously I'm reenacting what I was told by a real estate agent. I don't know if that's, a, that's true or that's bullshit. Um, so yeah, Zuck, amazing. Let's uh, um,
0: wrap, wrap up with this last thing, this Nike
1: thing. Did you watch this movie, uh, Air? Yeah, I did. I thought it was awesome. it it was pretty sweet, right? Like, uh, not the best movie, but like a, just a solid base hit on a, on a Thursday night, a Friday night, you know, you just need something that's, I don't want to sit here and browse Netflix for the perfect thing. All right. I'm just going to go on. I think it's on Amazon and I'm just gonna go watch air and like just just watch the story of how Nike signed Michael Jordan. They made Phil um, Knight look like a doofus. Yeah. Why did they do that? I didn't understand that. They, uh, well, he does like appearance wise look like a doofus, but they also made him act like a doofus.
0: Yeah, which I don't think he was like that. When I read Shoe Dog, I, I didn't get that idea. Uh, uh, he, he, he He's more, I think uh, they made
1: him look like when he you wrote movie. his own memoir, he, he made himself sound cool.
0: Well, <laughs> I've read a lot. I've read a lot about him. He he they, they just kind of made him look like a like a like a ditzy person, like an
1: idiot. Yeah, he's not an idiot. Um but the guy they feature, so a couple things. So, so first, uh, anything stand out from the movie Air? But then I have, I want to go deep on this guy, Sonny Vaccaro, because I think he's actually more interesting. Who was that the main character? I don't even remember his name. That's the that's the main character. So that's, that's Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon in the movie. But um, yeah, you know, in 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 Nike in, in the Air movie, I thought one one interesting thing I didn't know was they they're talking about just do it, which is the just do it's the slogan that you know everybody knows, just the Nike kind of like iconic slogan, and they, they were talking about like. At the time, even people internally were like, "Just do it." Like we, got, they got that from the ad agency Wyden Kennedy, and they're like, "I don't know what, what does that, what does that mean? Do you like it?" I was like, "I don't know. It's okay, I guess." And they weren't like, "Yes, this is this is going to be this like marketing masterpiece," and they go, "What, what does that even mean?" And they go, "Dude, it's from an inmate on death row who was about to be assass- about to be executed," and they were like, "Any last words?" And he goes, "Just do it." <laughs> and so that became the Nike slogan, <laughs> which is. Uh, Honestly, kind of genius. Um, so I want to talk about this guy, Sonny Vaccaro, because he's kind of a gangster that I've seen for many, many years in the basketball scene. And the movie was about him. And he, this guy's pretty fascinating. So what uh, in the movie, he's famous because he's working at Nike. At the time, Nike is the last player. It's, a, it's just a running shoe company. And they're the smaller shoe company. Uh, Adidas is this global brand that's crushing it. They own most of the sneaker market. Uh, I believe it's pronounced Adidas. Adidas. Yeah, Adidas, Adidas. uh, which has its own interesting story. Then Reebok is like number two and Nike is like a distant three, but they were doing like 27 million a year in sales through their running shoe. So good, but not like nowhere near the kind of top tier uh, of, of shoe companies. And so Sonny meets Phil Knight and he's like, hey, I got an idea for a basketball shoe. I want to create like a basketball division. Like you guys are all running shoes. We should create basketball shoes. And he's like, okay, like, come on in. You got this little basketball department. Like, go ahead, try to make it work. And the movie is all about like one breakthrough thing he did, which was they had a tiny budget. And in the 1984 draft, they decided to sponsor Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was not interested in Nike. He was going to go with uh, I think Adidas or somebody like that. And um he was known as a as a hot prospect. He's like the number three pick. And they were like, well, we still want and and Sonny was convinced we need Michael Jordan. And so the movie is about them trying to go get Michael Jordan on board. And, and what ended up what they what the pitch was was basically they put their entire budget on one guy instead of spreading it across multiple players. He relentlessly pursued Jordan and like met his mom and like just like drove out there to North Carolina to to meet them and try to build a relationship. They they didn't even show Jordan's
0: face in the movie, which actually was pretty cool. It was basically the whole relationship was, how do I impress his mom? Because I know his mom will have my back.
1: She's making the decisions. And so they were like, well, um, we're going to pitch him on his own signature shoe from day one, and we're going to name it after him. Um, So it'll be the Air Jordan. It'll be a whole product line named after him. And he ended up negotiating a royalty on every pair of Jordans sold. And that's how Michael Jordan became a billionaire, not through basketball, but through his shoes. So that's the, the movie part. Okay, cool. This guy, Sonny, actually did a bunch of other interesting things that I thought were pretty cool. So as a marketer, I just respect this guy's hustle. So here's some of the things he did to make Nike win. Um, He created... So he was like, all right, we got to create like a a kid's strategy. like, how do we get them while they're young? And so he created a high school All-American game. So he was like... He called it the uh, the Dapper Dan Roundball Classic. He goes throughout the country. He's like, I'm inviting you to participate. You're going to compete against, you know, the... The uh, 12 best players um, or whatever, 20 best players in the country. You're invited to come do this thing in, in, in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or some shit like that. And it was like, uh, and so he flies them out there and he puts this thing together. Now he's got the players. So then he goes and tells all the college coaches, hey, if you're scouting, you need to come to this round ball class. So you can see all the best high school players at once. And so then college coaches start coming. So now players are like, oh, if I want to get seen by college coaches, I got to get to the high school All-American game. So he just like created through brute force like a conference essentially <laughs> that would uh, bring together the kind of the core supply and demand. And then he could find at that age the best young players. And so he that's how he found Kobe Bryant. That's how he found LeBron James. They were part of his high school All-American things and his camp. So the second thing he did is he created a summer camp for only the best players called ABCD. And he brand. this is when he was with Adidas. So this guy worked for Nike, then he worked for Adidas, then he worked for Reebok. So he just this guy was just a hired assassin that went from company to company and would just try to get them to win in their market using whatever advantages they had. And so when Nike needed something, he was like, all right, you need to get them all they're young. We're going to do this camp. But also what we're going to do is we need to get college players wearing our stuff. They all wear Adidas because uh, it's the most popular brand. So that's just what they choose by default or they choose Converse. And so he's like, you know, why don't we, um, you can't pay college athletes, but nobody said anything about coaches. And so he just started, he would go to the coaches and he'd be like, hey, I'm going to give you 10 grand and here's 26 pairs of shoes. Give them out. Oh, they happen to be the sizes of like most of your guys. Uh, They don't have to wear them. You get the 10 grand either way, but we sure do hope you would, uh, you know, you would go ahead and, and um, you know, encourage them to wear these shoes. And so he went to Jim Beheim, and he went to like, you know, all the top college coaches and he basically bribed them. And it was like in this gray area where it was allowed and in one year, he just traveled. Like He would just fly city to city. And he would go to the campus. He would make the coach an offer. And at the time, they were buying this equipment for their program. They're like, our kids need equipment. So we got to buy this, this stuff. So he turned a cost into revenue for them and gave them free stuff. And sure enough, all of them started wearing Nikes for free. So all of a sudden now, Nikes being worn by all the best college players. And it's on TV. And in one year, he just did a land grab across the country before the other companies could, could react. He got all of them. And I thought this was just like a genius, uh, genius strategy. He started doing do
0: how far you can go with brute force. This was a sledgehammer. This was a sledgehammer. And you can get pretty far exactly. with a the sledgehammer.
1: Then, then he did another thing. He sued the NCAA. So he went to this guy Ed O'Bannon and he was like, hey, we should sue the NCAA. They're using your name, your face, your likeness to market the tournament and all this stuff. And you're getting nothing from it. And now college players can get paid through this NIL rule, this name and likeness thing. And it's because he won the case with that uh, lawsuit uh, against the NCAA. That was like, you know, it happened. The, the lawsuit happened in the last, I don't know, five years or so. And then the, the rule came into effect like a year ago or something. And so, um, so I thought that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> there were some great quotes about him. Some guy goes, uh, when Sonny dies, he's going to sneak his way into heaven and uh, and when he gets there, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to look for a six nine kid to make a deal with. <laughs> like He's like, and, and the other thing they said is, there's only one man on earth who could tell you who the best sixth grade basketball player in the country is, and it's Sonny Vaccaro. And I just love that this guy just like owned his niche and just absolutely like went balls to the wall and really built like, I don't know, tens of billions of value, at least inside of Nike plus Adidas plus Reebok with these athletes. And he would have also got, so he signed Jordan. He signed, he, he got, he poached Kobe away from Adidas. And then he would have got LeBron too, when he was at Adidas and LeBron was ready to sign. He goes, we need to offer him 10 million a year for 10 years, hundred million dollar contract to this 18 year old kid. And LeBron's ready to sign. And then Adidas gave him the 10 million, but they changed the structure last minute. They got a little cold feet and they're like, well, we don't know if this kid's going to work out. Why don't we make it part of it incentive-based? and so they offered him 7 million guaranteed and 3 million a year of incentives and lebron turned it down ends up going with nike never looked back and like just a huge blunder like basically this guy's whole life he was fighting bureaucracy inside companies and then doing like bl- bl- black market and gray hat shit in the, like you know in the streets and every nba player like no Sonny, their parents no sunny cuz this guy was just working the streets and like there are certain companies that have had this tinder kind of had this with um what's her name? The, uh, Whitney Wolf who started Bumble. She was kind of doing this from college campus to college campus, like going into the sorority houses and the frat houses and just brute force onboarding all the guys and girls in one campus so that Tinder was useful. And then throwing parties and doing stuff like that. And like, you need these people. These are like game-changing people for your company. I remember when Coinbase went public, uh, Brian Armstrong did this long thread. He did something you never see somebody do, which was, company goes public they usually just say generic stuff he actually talked about like what led coinbase to be successful and he called out one guy by name that wasn't his co-founder wasn't his main investor it was just an employee and this guy dan romero and he's like and you know basically special thanks to dan romero who like just kind of like brute force built our relationships with banks and he, he basically got them their relationships with banking partners and like i think maybe some stuff overseas um and it was just kind of like one of those things, like, dude, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know, Dan. That's your mission. Send him on a mission to go do that. And Dan basically joined Coinbase, Coinbase as an employee. Ended up making like hundred million dollars plus through this process. Um, and I knew this guy. I met him in college. He was in my class, yeah, didn't
0: he? Uh, didn't you like used to make fun of him and call him a dweeb?
1: I didn't make fun of him, but in my head, I did. Uh, he was. We took a class called computers. Again, I was going through campus looking for the easiest sounding classes. I took Giving Rich. I was one class. I took another class called Computers. And in Computers, they were talking about like, that's the like a class person class. It's Computers. And they were just talking about like the internet and like internet. I remember like they're talking about net neutrality a ton. And I was like, I don't know what the hell these guys are talking about. Like, I couldn't give less of a shit about this. And there was one guy that every class had like strong opinions, was super informed. I was like, man, who is this like teacher's pet? That's just like, is he trying to impress him? I was like, no, I don't even think he's trying to impress him. I think he actually is just nerdy about this stuff. He just listen, Motherfucker just loves the internet. This guy like wants to make out with the internet. I was remember sitting in the back of class. like I was like, thank you for talking so much, Dan Romero, because I don't have to say a word in this class. And um, it's sort of like, you know, revenge of the nerds in a way. It's like jokes on you. Like this guy's passion and enthusiasm about the internet and technology is what led him early into crypto. Which led him to pick Coinbase and ended up, you know, like his passion for that led him to be a key person there. This guy made hundreds of, million, hundreds of millions of dollars probably is retired and uh, and got to do what he loved the whole time. And so like, you know, I, I used to make fun of people who were like, you know, overly enthusiastic. And now I preach that you need like enthusiasm is massively underrated and more people Dude, do. Dude, and he's got a super
0: it. handsome uh, headshot now on LinkedIn. Dan Romero does.
1: Uh, th- good. You can afford a whole, you know, glow up if, if you uh, if you get that. Coinbase IPO and early Bitcoin money. He's got
0: great hair. This guy's definitely takes him. he's a good looking guy.
1: <laughs> Power hims
0: user. And he just bought uh $13 million worth of a uh, $13 million property in Venice and another one in Park City. Dan won. Yeah,
1: Dan won for sure.
0: And you can tell that he's ripped too. I, this guy's definitely has abs. <laughs> Dan won. <laughs> good <laughs> job, Dan. <laughs> I'm just like, you just Google him and see his face. You know this guy's fit.
1: <laughs> I should DM him. Yeah, you should. Let <laughs> hey. uh, add you to the group chat. Say, say no more. I've seen enough to the pic.
0: Yeah, you can tell by his jawline. This guy's got one of those like V's that goes down
1: as like junk. No, 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 no NFTs. Uh, just lift up your shirt six inches. I'll tell you. Just yeah. <laughs> so, qualify.
0: So, um, dude, this guy, Sonny, sounds awesome. I, I did see the movie and they made him look like a guy who could just put up with a whole lot of pain. That's what they made him look like. Um, They made him look like a guy who, like, he would just get shit on constantly and he always pulled through. That's what they made him look like. Uh, And they also made him look exhausted and terribly unhealthy, which is the and price to pay. that's
1: kind of true, yeah.
0: <laughs> they made him look horrible. And if you look at photos of him, Granted, he's like looks like he's he was born in 1938, I think. So like, you know, you are what you are at that point. But like, he <laughs> he, he, he definitely looks like he smoked a lot of cigarettes.
1: 1938. <laughs> that sounds very old. Is that? Is I looked that right? him
0: up on Wikipedia. I think it's 38. He's 30 old. Wow. Yeah. He's 83. Wow. Sonny. Yeah. Man. So he, he, you know, he, he he's alive and and, so and that's by the good way, enough. the guy's
1: name is actually John Paul Vincent Vaccaro quote, Sonny. God damn. I, like, you have to have a nickname that everybody in your town knows you by. That's like, to me, that's like one of the great honors of life. It's like, yeah, his, name, his name's Sean, but everybody called him Sonny. whole life, everybody called him Sonny. It's like, that's just like such a cool, I wish I had a calling card like that.
0: That's an Italian thing. That's like, I feel like all the, there's always a Sonny in the mafia movies that I watch.
1: Yeah, he, he operates Italian like a thing. mobster for sure.
0: I like this. This is a good find. I saw that movie and I thought, I don't want that guy's job. It sounded like an exhausting, exhausted uh, existence. It it sounded very challenging. But I did like the movie. They made him, they made Phil Knight look a little goofy, which I'm a big Phil Knight fan, so it kind of hurt my feelings. But uh, no, I thought it was a good movie and this is a good find. All right, that's it. That's the pod. Let us know. Who won this the the duel? The annoying blonde hair guy who went first or the less annoying brown guy who went second? That's the pot.
1: <laughs> yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like a day's off. On the road less travel, never looking back.